Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Truth Hurts program, afternoon edition for Monday, the 18th day of October 2021. I love a good comedy. I love when someone tries to think they're smart enough to trick me, to pull the wool over my eyes, to fool me as if because I identify as a conservative, I am somehow automatically ignorant. Nothing, of course, could be further from the truth. I don't normally make a habit of reading The Atlantic, a paper that's been around since 1817, a paper that's been kissing the Democrats' ass for as long as I've been alive. An article in The Atlantic written by Russell Berman 10 hours ago says, The decision that could doom Democrats for a decade. That's not the comedy part. But the first paragraph here is certainly comedic at best. An absolute joke is these people actually believe the bullscrap that they're writing. This article begins, Democrats wanted to play fair, and they tried to lead by example. In the decade-long battle over who gets to draw the districts that determine control of Congress, the party even relinquished some of its power in the name of good government. Now Democrats are discovering the potential cost of that attempt at high-mindedness, their House majority, and perhaps the presidency. All right, the comedy comes in on the very first sentence. Democrats wanted to play fair? Since when? Fair to the Democrats means what's only fair to the Democrats, not what's right for the nation. It then says they tried to lead by example. What example? The joke example of gerrymandering and political redistricting that has put minority representation in charge of non-minority areas of the country? In a country with 330 million Americans, according to the U.S. Census data, there are 42.9, let's say 43 million, 13% double-A hyphenated American Blafrican minority people. Out of 330 million, 43 million are black. So why is it that they want, the Democrats that is, to have well over 43% of the congressional districts run by black people? Some of the gerrymandering, and if you don't know what that term means, go back to your junior high school civics book. It means you sit down, you draw out a map of a state, and then you divide the state up by its population to give representation in Congress. If your state is allowed, for example, four House members, and let's just say it's a small rural state like Iowa, you're allowed four House members, then you take the state, you cut it into four equal pieces, and that's what you give each person. You give each person of the four one-fourth of the, of the state. That's, that's how you do it. But in our current Democrat-controlled gerrymandering process, they will draw a line that includes this predominantly black neighborhood and this predominantly black subdivision and this predominantly black city and this predominantly black section on this side of the tracks 
and it ends up looking like a giant jigsaw puzzle within each state so that they can guarantee to give at least one black person representation as a black man. Even if in a state like Iowa, for example, the population of African Americans is less than 11%, they'll go ahead and divide it into four to guarantee one black representative will get 25% of the state. And they draw that line in such a way that the district encompasses all kinds of parts of the state that have no common interest whatsoever other than a group of black people. It is wholly unfair to the rest of the constituents of that state and indeed to our nation. To rid the country of partisan gerrymandering, this article continues, Democrats joined with election reformers to take the responsibility for redistricting away from politicians and to hand it to independent nonpartisan commissions. Those nonpartisan commissions, by the way, were highly partisan. They were made up of groups like the United Black This or the National Black That or the Social Justice Reform Parties. The effort did not begin as an entirely altruistic project. Both parties gerrymandered where they could. Democrats always have had more to gain, in my opinion, by continuing the practice. They won the argument in a number of places. Voters in states including California, Colorado, Arizona, Michigan, and Virginia have approved those racist redistricting commissions as opposed to giving it to congressional members of uh, our, our U.S. Congress. Republicans, according to this article, decided they would decline to go along. They refused to cede control of redistricting in red states such as Texas and they fought commissions that could have cost them seats in Arizona all the way to the Supreme Court. And in Congress this year, this article says, Republicans blocked legislation that would have created nonpartisan commissions across the country. The GOP's reward for its defense of gerrymandering, this article says, is a national map tilted further in its favor than it would have been if the Democrat push for independent commissions had fallen flat. This is such a bullshit lying article that I can't read any further. I don't see any efforts on the Republican side to redraw a district, let's say in Louisiana, that includes almost all black New Orleans, cuts out the white neighborhoods, cuts out most of the white sections of neighboring Jefferson Parish, St. Bernard Parish, Plaquemines Parish, and then cuts back in through the rural areas of St. Charles Parish and up through the old former slave areas where people got their 40 acres and a mule so many decades ago. I don't see any districts drawn to exclude black people in the state of Louisiana or in the state of Florida or in the state of Georgia. Maybe it happens somewhere in someone's mind who knows, my friends? It is a joke. And I don't want to spend any more time on it. The Daily Dot is a site I visit once in a while. Mikhail Thalen wrote, Conspiracy theories flourish after Bill Clinton was hospitalized. We all know it was an infection. 
He probably stuck his cigar in the wrong pocket. Conspiracy theories quickly spread online in recent days after it was revealed that former President Cigar Bill Clinton had been hospitalized. A spokesman for the 75-year-old philanderer said on Thursday the former president had been admitted to the University of Cal Irvine Medical Center for non-COVID-related infection, and he was released over the weekend. He supposedly responded well to IV antibiotics and fluids and is said to be on the mend. The doctors confirmed he had been suffering from a urinary tract infection that had spread to his bloodstream. Cigar theory debunked? I don't think so. Despite the positive prognosis from doctors, this article says, conspiracy theorists began churning out claims about the health of Cigar Bill Clinton. It shouldn't be shocking that his health has sparked numerous conspiracies. Some people said he was on his deathbed. Some said his wife Hillary was involved, but I don't think he's touched that in years. So him getting a UTI by, by way of Hillary is pretty unlikely. One user said, Bill Clinton is in the ICU. Hillary is done with him. Dead by morning? Doctor said he was placed in the ICU for privacy and safety conditions not because his medical condition actually warranted any special intensive treatment. White privileged much, Cigar Bill? This morning I woke to the news that former Secretary of State and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Colin Powell had passed away. President Bush at one time had called him a great public servant. Of course the black community at the time called Bush a racist for saying that Powell, a black man, was anyone's servant. Powell has been suffering from cancer and died at the ripe old age of 84 years old, but in the Democrats' playbook of never let a good opportunity of crisis go to waste, they immediately pounced on the COVID-19 variant as contributory to his death. The mainstream leftist media doing everything they can, of course, to bring race and racism into every story, and not to mention sticking COVID-19 into every story. CNN writes, Colin Powell, first black Secretary of State, dies at 84 from COVID-19 amid a cancer battle. The bottom line here is, he was a Secretary of State. Who cares that he was the first black one? You mean it took over 200 years in our country for a black man to finally be qualified to be Secretary of State? Is that what CNN is trying to say? He was the first one qualified? Or did he get the position because he was black and may not have been qualified at all? Come on, CNN. Which one is it going to be? Their article says former Secretary of State Colin Powell died Monday morning due to complications from COVID-19 amid an ongoing battle with cancer. It's more likely that he died because he was 84 and died of cancer and happened to have a little COVID in his system. CNN's second paragraph says, Powell, the first black Secretary of State and former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was fully vaccinated. Wait a minute. But I thought if you were vaccinated, you couldn't die from COVID. 
So, does this mean President Biden is lying? Does this mean the CDC is lying? Does this mean Dr. Anthony Fucci is lying? Powell, the first black secretary, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was fully vaccinated, his family said in a post on his fake book page. Powell had battled various other health ailments, had been treated for multiple myeloma, a type of blood cancer that affects white blood cells and can severely compromise the immune system. His wife, Alma, also fully vaccinated, had what they call a breakthrough case of COVID, but she's still alive. The Powell family wrote, We want to thank the medical staff at Walter Reed National Medical Center for their caring treatment. We lost a remarkable and loving husband, father, grandfather, and great American. President Biden ordered flags to be flown at half-staff until October 22nd in remembrance of Powell, calling him a patriot unmatched in honor and integrity. Yet, Biden still has yet to announce and admit that he and his administration killed and caused the direct deaths of 13 American servicemen and women in the screwed-up debacle known as his hasty Afghanistan withdrawal. National Security Advisor, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and Secretary of State. That's a hell of a resume, I'll say. Gropey Joe Biden said, As a Senator, I worked closely with him when he served as National Security Advisor, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Secretary of State. Over our many years working together, even in disagreement, Colin was always someone who gave you his best and treated you with respect. Colin by the highest ideals, both war and diplomat. He was committed to our nation's strength and security above all. Time again, put the country for itself, for party, for all else. New informant out. Earn him the universal respect of American people. I'll tell you something, my friends. They were calling him every name in the book when he was supporting President Bush. But when he came out against Donald Trump, Colin Powell became a hero of the Democrat Party. And by the way, during an event for teachers at the White House on Monday, Gropey Joe Biden is still telling people they absolutely should get vaccinated. He says, well, by the way, Colin Powell had serious underlying conditions, as you know, and that's the problem. It wasn't the vaccinations aren't good. He had two very underlying serious conditions and unfortunately didn't work. God love him. Colin Powell was born April 5th, 1937 in Harlem, New York, to Jamaican immigrants. He was a groundbreaking figure in Washington, and he did garner respect from both sides of the aisle. He joined the Army after graduating from college back in 58. had a 35-year military career, where he served two tours in Vietnam and was stationed in West Germany and South Korea. He served top roles under four presidents. First as National Security Advisor to Ronald Reagan, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff under President George H.W. Bush and President Bill Clinton. And he was the first Negro to hold the role. He was then tapped by President George W. Bush as Secretary of State. He led that State Department during the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. And he favored taking military action against Al-Qaeda. He supported the invasion of Iraq. And he appeared before the United Nations to present evidence that Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. George W. issued a statement on Monday saying Powell was a great public servant whose counsel and experience was relied upon by presidents of both parties. 
He said he and Laura Bush were deeply saddened by Powell's death. He was such a favorite of presidents that he earned the Presidential Medal of Freedom twice. He was respected both at home and abroad. He was a family man and a friend, Mr. Bush said. In a statement of his own, Barack Hussein Obama, whose opinion I could give a rat's narrow, furry, tight little ass less about, he recalled Powell's endorsement of Obama's candidacy in 2008, proving that color was more important than ideology. I'm not even going to bother wasting my time reading Obama's ignorant remarks. Colin Powell, 84, dead of cancer, but they're going to blame it on COVID. The other day I took a little bit of time to mention what I saw as a very highly racist, bigoted, and biased advertisement against a sitting New Orleans city council person by a then unnamed African-American support group trying to tie Miss Palmer's campaign and her position on the New Orleans City Council as somehow being related to racism because she signed, along with many other members of the City Council, the orders authorizing the demolition of a blighted old Woolworths building where some black people happened to go in and eat at back in the 1950s in order to build a brand new Hard Rock Hotel Casino Complex, which ultimately crumbled to the ground due to poor design, poor construction, and project mismanagement. Miss Palmer was not the only council person to approve. It takes way more than one to approve demolition of a historic building or to give approval to variances to change the height of a proposed new construction project. That didn't stop the racist, bigoted, pro-black candidate group from playing the race card with shiny, glittery spotlights. So I'd like to give equal time and bash a New Orleans council member, Jared Brossett, who has now been booked for driving while intoxicated for the second time since he took office. New Orleans City Councilman Jared Brossett was booked Monday in yet another drunk driving incident, according to Orleans Parish Jail Records. Police said around 2.30 a.m., officers were flagged down after a man was reported passed out behind the wheel of a vehicle. He was identified by police as 39-year-old Jared Brossett, City Council member. He was removed from the vehicle by cops. He refused to take tests. The DWI, Driving While Intoxicated Unit, was called to the scene. Brossette was taken into custody. He faces charges of driving while intoxicated. Hell of an example you're setting there for everybody, Councilman. The council president, Helena Moreno, former newscaster in New Orleans, released a statement regarding the incident. Her statement says, quote, This is overall a very sad situation. We hope that our friend and colleague takes the necessary steps to make himself well. Alcoholism is a disease and should be treated as such. The public should be reassured that the council will be moving forward with its work without delay, including moving forward as planned with the budget schedule 
and will meet all budget timelines outlined by law. Brossette was also booked in 2020 after he crashed a city-owned vehicle and said back in April he would reimburse the city for the car he wrecked. During that incident, police say Brissette was behind the wheel of a 19 model, 2019 model Chevy Tahoe in the wee hours of June 14, 2020, when he crossed the median on Elysian Fields Avenue near Interstate 10's off-ramp and struck another vehicle. He could have killed somebody. He is currently, by the way, a councilman for District D and is running against the woman he accuses of being racist, Miss Kristen Gillison Palmer, the white woman. Brossette failed a sobriety test and refused a breath analysis, according to earlier reports. He was charged with driving under the influence and reckless driving. This is in relation to his earlier reports back in August. In February, the district attorney added restitution to the city for the damaged SUV and gave him two months to execute formal compensation agreements with the city. He completed a six-week treatment program with the Addictive Behavior Unit at Oshner Medical Center and will be enrolled in an aftercare program, according to the city. He also completed 32 community service hours as a volunteer with the Mass Feeding Program. And he's going to get nothing but a slap on the wrist, and it takes people like me to report these things. But they'll keep on running the racist commercials against Ms. Palmer. I know neither Ms. Palmer nor Mr. Brossette. I do know their records both criminal and voting records in the city. This guy does not need to be on the council at large, which is the next position below the city council president. He needs to be in rehab where he can get some real, true help. He needs to do the honorable thing and resign from the city council. But you see, he's got a D behind his name and dark skin. So that will never be asked of him. According to the Washington Examiner, not even Joe Biden thinks mask mandates are necessary. Not a single government official truly believes that continued coronavirus restrictions are necessary, this article says. Not even the President of the United States. President Gropey Joe Biden was seen walking through a ritzy Washington, D.C. restaurant without a mask on his face over the weekend in direct violation of the district's mask mandate, which has not even been respected by its own mayor, Muriel Bow Wow Bowser. As the video shows, First Lady Jill Biden, a doctor, was also maskless. It shouldn't matter whether Biden wears a mask at all. Supposedly, 70% of DC's population has been vaccinated. Death rates are reportedly remarkably low because of the high vaccination rate. And Muriel Bowser will say, because of the mask requirements. Coronavirus pandemic is no longer a pandemic, an epidemic, or an endemic in Washington, D.C. It's ridiculous to continue acting like it is. But unfortunately for Joe Biden, D.C.'s officials insist on doing just that, at least for public consumption. Muriel Bow Wow Bowser recently extended D.C.'s, quote, state of emergency, unquote, into the year 2022 
so that she can continue to impose COVID restrictions and rake in massive federal funds. Her mask mandate is still in effect as well, which means the restaurant that hosted Biden, Fiola Mare, could be fined for failing to enforce the mandate or failing to ask the president to wear his mask while walking through the restaurant. Now, Biden, we all know, will not face a single consequence for his negligence because, as we've learned over and over and over again for the past year and a half, the only people who are required to follow masking rules are the people who aren't important enough to be able to break them. Biden did not have to wear a mask, but his Secret Service agents did. Celebrities at the Met Gala didn't have to wear masks, but the servers and busboys who waited on their tables did. A-list actors at the Emmy Awards ceremony didn't have to wear masks, but all the photographers there taking pictures were required to do so. At what point do everyday citizens simply stand up and say enough is enough? In some states, they're already doing so. And if the President of the United States cannot even be bothered to abide by the District of Columbia's restrictions, why the hell should anyone else? Business owners ought to stop enforcing the rules that clearly only apply to the little people. And if government officials object, tell them you're just following the President's example. This is the Truth Hurts program. Let's say you impregnate your wife. Your wife becomes pregnant. She suffers through nine months of morning sickness, bloating, weight gain, all of those symptoms associated with pregnancy. And then, when the time comes, she decides to give birth the way God intended, naturally. The pain The tearing, the stretching, the strain and stress on her human body is, well, let's just say no man could probably handle that pain. Her recovery time, right now, can be half a day because they usually throw them out of the hospital right after they have the baby. Go on home, take care of business. Women do get some maternity leave in many of their jobs, which is paid time at home, But then they have to nurse babies, change diapers, deal with postpartum depression, and all of those other physical and mental issues that come from giving birth. But in their never-ending fight to pander to people who don't want to work and pay people to stay home rather than going to work and contributing to our economy, this new paternity leave garbage that's been bandied about, especially for the federal workforce, has allowed Transportation Secretary Homosexual Pete Buttigieg, that's Buttigieg for those of you who want to mispronounce his name the way he mispronounces it, gay married man Pete Buttigieg has taken off for paternity leave, not because his female spouse just endured the pain of pregnancy and childbirth, but because he and his male husband, both men, adopted a baby. They adopted a baby. And now he is taking time off in the middle of an infrastructure crisis, in the middle of a port and dock and transportation crisis, where the supply chain has been severely damaged by failed Democrat politics and initiatives. Pete, Mayor Pete, 
the unqualified but appointed only because he was homosexual to his post in the Biden administration is now missing in action. AWOL. Why? Because he and his husband decided to adopt a child and he needs paternity time to bond with the little child. I'm telling you, my friends, it is disgusting to say the least. Now, I can understand if your wife were having the medical complications of a pregnancy and a childbirth and you had to stay home to assist for five, six days, a week, two weeks. But this is going to go on for quite some time as Mayor Pete and his little husband bond with their little adopted child. And half the nation thinks there's nothing at all wrong with this as they suffer through empty grocery store shelves, empty home improvement store shelves, extremely high gasoline prices, and shortages in every conceivable consumer good. Welcome to Socialist America, my friends. Thank you, Joe Biden. Let's go, Brandon! Let's go, Brandon! Only they're not saying, let's go, Brandon. Have you ordered your stickers for the gas pumps yet? With Joe Biden pointing to the high gas prices saying, yes, I did that? Maybe it's time you should. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Truth Hurts program. Go out there and make it a great day, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Opinions expressed are free speech protected under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Audionautics.